Welcome to Bible Studies. Good to see you tonight. Glad you're here. I'm going to take a few moments and pray, and then uh, we'll start our Bible study. So let's pray. Father, thanks for uh, loving us. Thank you for caring for us. Thank you for looking out for us. Thank you for providing for us. Uh, we just thank you for your presence. We ask that you would lead us and guide us tonight. That, God, we would receive truth from you, um, that you would instruct us. We ask you that you would teach us by your anointing and by your Holy Spirit. Uh, we want to learn of you. We want to learn from you and learn to grow in you. And so tonight I pray that uh, you will impart and that we'll be challenged. And I pray that we grow and we mature. Uh, have your way. And so God, give us ears to hear uh, what you're saying tonight. Uh, give us eyes to be open to what you want to show us. And we just ask you, God, that you be glorified through this time. And we uh, thank you again for your presence here. We've gathered in the name of Jesus. Thank you for being here in our midst. Have your way. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Reminder uh, for our podcast listeners that we have an interactive feature with Bible study. And that is through a website at www.speakpipe.com. Dot com. That's S-P-E-A-K-P-I-P-E dot com slash Monday Night Bible Study, all one word. You go there to that webpage and there's a button that you can toggle and you can leave us what would appear to be a voicemail. And we'd love to hear from you. could be just saying hi or maybe you have a question about Bible study or maybe you have a comment or you just want to tell us where you're from. But we'd love to hear from you. Could be something good God's doing in your life. So drop us a line, uh, leave us a message, and we'll endeavor to play that at our next Bible study. If you have your Bibles, let's open up to Galatians. Galatians chapter 1. And if you need a Bible, we have some available on the tables. So we're looking at Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1, I need a volunteer to read verse 12. Galatians 1, 12. All right, thanks. Uh, this is Paul speaking to the church at Galatia, or the church in Galatia, and uh, he is describing... Uh, his, the way that he was able to take hold of the gospel, uh, his system, and that encompasses something bigger than maybe what you think of as the gospel. This encompasses his system of belief, uh, system of practice, and you can begin to use words like his faith, his doctrine, his values, his priorities, his beliefs. Uh, those were all taught to him, and what he was presenting to this church had been taught to him by direct revelation. 
And that's what he's saying in this verse. Uh, this is something that I think is notable in the sense that uh, this is a break from the way people would normally describe themselves if they wanted anyone to listen to them. Uh, you don't normally describe yourself in their culture as someone that had received something by direct revelation. If you want anybody to listen, you normally would describe yourself uh, by who taught you. And you'll see that in some places with Paul when he's trying to expound on his credentials as a Pharisee. Uh, and you have to kind of take what he's doing when he does that as he's just uh, playing a game, in a sense, with people because they want to know, okay, I'm a Pharisee of the Pharisees. I am as big a Pharisee as you ever want to meet. I am someone that was taught and learned at the feet of Gamaliel. And, and he would name off the man that had discipled him. And the reason that he would do that is because everyone knew who that was. And so it was a part of his pedigree as a Pharisee that he had learned at the feet of a guy by the name of Gamaliel. And Gamaliel was known as one of the big rabbi teachers of their day. And so that was something that he would spout off if that's what he was trying to tell people. Well, that's not what he was trying to tell people here. That was normal for their day. Uh, that was the way that they described themselves if they wanted to let people know that they had learned and they had learned from the best. And that's what they would say. All right. So that was what they were doing. But with the Galatians, he wasn't doing that. He was actually talking about his faith in Christ. He's talking about his credential as an apostle, as someone that had been called to establish churches, someone that had been called to raise up disciples, someone that had been called to uh, go about establishing uh, practice and doctrine within churches. That was his job. And so as he was called to do that, he was letting them know that he hadn't received this gospel, he hadn't received this faith, he hadn't received this system of belief from any person in the sense of a physical person, but it was through revelation, direct revelation from Jesus himself. It was a work of the anointing, it was a work of the Holy Spirit. This is a major break in the way things were done. And this is a major break in the way that, that things were practiced. And I would submit to you that we've kind of gone back to the original way that they looked at things, that uh, we, we've returned to this idea of establishing our pedigree based on what, who we learned from or where we learned. Uh, we would more likely say, well, I attended um, whatever seminary that we wanted to say we attended. I went to Fuller Theological Seminary or I went to... Uh, whatever the Dallas Theological Seminary, or I went to uh, Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary, or I attended Princeton Theological Seminary, and we would establish our credential based on where we went to school. Um, well, I don't know that that's a good return in the right direction. Hmm. And, and that's really what I'm looking at through this, is that the only time Paul did things like that is if he, and like I said, you have to almost understand it as, he was exaggerating something. He was trying to prove something or show something that uh, when he was speaking to a bunch of Pharisees that he was a bigger Pharisee than they were and, and that he had turned and walked away from that in order to follow Jesus. And he wanted to make sure they understood that. And so he established whatever credential he was going to establish based on that. And yet when it came right down to 
okay, why should the Galatians listen to him? Why should they hear what he has to say? Why should they listen to his teaching? Why should they listen to uh, what he has to lay down and offer as doctrine or lay down and offer as discipleship or lay down and offer what you know God wanted to give to these people? Well, his credential was that he had received what he has and what he was giving to them by revelation. He had received it by the anointing. He had received it by the Holy Spirit. Now, this isn't a foreign idea. This is something that, as you look back at the words of Jesus, or you look at uh, even the Apostle John when he was writing his general epistles to the church, it's something that, that he addressed in a couple of different spots. That You see that addressed in the gospel, and you see that addressed in the epistles. That this is how God was going to equip, and how God was going to speak to, and how God was going to make ready a people in order to make the church ready. What I mean by that? Okay, somebody look at John 14, 26. John 14, 26. But when the Father sends the advocate as my representative, that is, the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and remind you of everything I have told you. All right, thanks. All right, do you have colored words in there? I do. Right, right. Is it red? Super Okay, what does that mean? Oh, Jesus is saying that. All right. So Jesus, <laughs> Jesus is speaking, and he's saying, all right, well, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, which we already knew because uh, that had already been prophesied. All right, uh, John the Baptist had spoken to that. Jesus had spoken to John the Baptist about that. And so this is all things that they all knew was going to happen. And so Jesus is speaking, and he's saying, all right, well, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, and one of the works of the Holy Spirit, one of the things the Holy Spirit is going to do is that he's going to lead you into some truth and he's going to teach you. And, and I know we look at that and we think to ourselves, all right, well, what does he really mean by that? He means what he says. Anytime you catch yourself saying that, well, what he really means is, uh, that's what Dietrich Bonhoeffer calls inner detachment. It's how we detach ourselves from the word. It's like, well... All right, Jesus says something. Well, what he really means is careful. Just, just careful. Because we, when we detach ourselves from that word, we detach ourselves from what he means by that, and we also detach ourselves from the power that's in that word. And so when Jesus is saying this, and he's talking about, well, the Holy Spirit's going to teach you. The Holy Spirit's going to be your teacher. The Holy Spirit's going to be the one that's going to lead you into truth. The Holy Spirit's going to be the one that's going to show you what you need to know. And there's other places where Jesus talked about, it's like, well, when you're in front of councils and you don't know what to say, don't worry about it because the Holy Spirit will give you words to speak during that time. Don't detach yourself from that. Don't detach yourself from the idea that the Holy Spirit supernaturally is going to teach us and supernaturally is going to bring truth into us. It's going to supernaturally going to grow us and mature us into the people God wants us to be. We've got these ideas about how we learn. You know, we all went to school. We were all trained in how to learn. Uh, and from the time we're little, you know, we go to kindergarten and you go first, second, third, or 12th grade, and then we go to college or whatever happens after 12th grade if we make it that far. But we're taught how to learn, and these are the methods that are used, and these are the ways that we learn. Okay, those, those are all true, but are they the only way that we learn? 
And that's obviously no, because there's lots of other ways that we learn, and there's lots of other paths that we can take to learn. And we know that there are things like if we don't say we don't want to go to college, well, there are apprenticeships that we can be a part of. Let's say we don't want to go get a bachelor's degree. Well, we could join the electrician's union, and we could learn to be an electrician. And we're going to learn how you learn there. There's some book work, sure, but there's also a lot of hands-on training. And there's a lot of work when we do it that way. And so there's apprenticeships in ways that we learn that way. We know that. There, there's, there's a lot of ways that we as human beings can learn. Well, let's not discount the supernatural ways that God's provided for us to learn. And, and this is definitely a supernatural way that God has said, all right, this is what I have for you. And, and this is how we're going to do it. We're going to do it by the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to teach you. I'm going to teach you by the Holy Spirit. So John 14, 26, that's in red. Jesus is saying that. Okay, now let's go to an epistle. 1 John 2, 27. 1 John 2, 27. I'm just giving you a couple verses so you know I'm not straight up making it up. So let's go. 1 John 2, 27. All right, so a couple weird words in there, right? Got some absolute words in there. You do not need who to teach you? Anyone. All right, well, that's inclusive, all right, of everyone. All right, so you don't need anyone to teach you, but he will teach you about what things? All things. So those are absolute words there. And so the possibility of how God and what God can do through this and, and how he wants to do this is without borders. It's without borders. Like, it, there's no limit to how he teaches and what he teaches by the power of the Holy Spirit through the anointing. No limit. No limit to it. And so these are provisions that God has made. And if you think about it, that makes perfect sense. It makes perfect sense that he's going to make provision for fishermen to change the world. That he's going to make provision for a zealot to change the world. He's going to make provision for a tax collector to change the world. That's what he's doing. He's making provision for those whom he calls and those whom he sends. He's making provision that he also equips. That's what he's doing. And so it makes sense that if he's going to call these guys, you know, and we know the disciples, we know where they came from, he's going to call them, and then he's going to send them to change the world. Well, they have to be equipped somehow. Well, how's he going to do it? He's going to do it by the anointing through the power of the Holy Spirit. That makes sense. But he's still doing that. He is still doing that. Because, I mean, we have people that God calls in places where we have ministry. And they have no formal training. And yet, they're the people that are called to go and reach their generation for Jesus. And to raise up disciples. And, and to see people come and to know Jesus and, and to be equipped if, then they can go. Uh, a lot of people that we see coming to Christ, I don't know their backgrounds. 
I don't know if they've been if they completed high school or what we call high school. I don't know if they completed college or what we call college. I have no idea because those questions to me are not as important as to their willingness, their faithfulness, and their obedience to God and to his spirit. But these are the people that God calls. But these are also the people that God equips. And so provision has been made through the spirit for people to be equipped. And for us to believe that through our systems, and I want you to think about this just for a second, for us to believe that through our systems that we can do a better job than what God has provided, I think is arrogance. I just believe that. I believe it's arrogance for us to believe that we have a better method of equipping people than how God does it. Now, does God use other means? Sure. He can use all kinds of other means. And I am not opposed to any of those means. I am not anti-education. I am not anti-college. I am not anti-whatever school. I'm not anti-reading. I'm not anti-any of those things. I'm just not. But I'm not going to limit God into how he's going to equip. And I'm not going to limit God to how he's going to send people and how he's going to make people ready in order to preach the gospel. I just won't do it. Because the Apostle Paul was well-trained as a Pharisee, but that didn't help him out a lot preaching gospel. And so he needed a retooling of what had been done in his life. In fact, if you look at his gospel and you look at the way that he preached, he set aside certain things in order to preach the message and the word that God had given him to preach so that he would be the apostle to the Gentiles. He had to set certain things aside. And I think it's interesting that God would call a Pharisee to be the apostle to the Gentiles. Because he had to really set aside everything, many of the things he had been taught along the way in order to do that. To associate with Gentiles, to eat with Gentiles, to be a part of their lives, to believe that they could come into a relationship with God. All of those things he had to set aside because everything in him would have told him that that's not even possible. And the bias that he would have had that he grew up with and that he had as an adult toward Gentiles is, is obvious. And yet he had to set all of those things aside. He had to let all that go in order to follow after what God had for him to do what God called him to do. And he did. And so we see it direct revelation. The idea of revelation here. Uh, the word itself is a discovery. It's a discovery. And there's a word that's used in here, the word taught. is used in here. It's the antithesis. And there is an antithesis between this word and the word revelation. Taught and revelation, they're two different, completely different things. And, and that's the way it's described here. And it, so it gives us this contrast so that we can better understand what Paul is saying. And what he's actually saying here, he's saying that I wasn't taught. It's like, I didn't receive, and I didn't receive this, this doctrine of man by a process of teaching and learning. That, and he's making sure that we understand that, that he did not receive what he received. He did not receive the word that he was speaking to the uh, church at Galatia. He did not receive that by being taught by any process of teaching or learning. 
because it uses this word revelation, which excludes those things by its very nature. And so that antithesis, it brings us to this place where, okay, he received this. He received this. It wasn't a process of teaching and learning, but he received it. So when do we know Paul had some revelation? What was his initial revelation of Jesus? Where was that? Okay, on the road to Damascus, Acts chapter 9 and verse 5. Okay, that was the initial, there was a revelation that occurred there. And that was the initial revelation of Jesus right there. It was just, he, he was on the road to Damascus. He's going to arrest some people, some Christians. He's doing a good job. He's being a good Pharisee, being a good agent of the high council. He was heading up to Syria to gather up some Christians. And Jesus appeared to him. He got blinded. He had a revelation in Jesus right there. That was the initial revelation that we know, we see, we've heard the story. He tells the story again. All right, later on in Acts, but that is the spot where initially he receives this revelation of Jesus. There it is. All right, but then there was a progressive revelation that takes place through his life. And why do I say that? Well, somebody look at uh, 2 Corinthians 12. 2 Corinthians 12. Second Corinthians 12, and I need a volunteer to read verse 1. Okay, read verse 7. For because of these surpassing great revelations, therefore, in order to keep me from being conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. All right, so there's two spots here where he talks about revelations that he had received. And we don't necessarily understand that to be just that one moment, but really an example of what had been taking place in his life. That he had received an initial revelation of Jesus in Acts chapter 7, or excuse me, Acts chapter 9. And then there's in, in 2 Corinthians 12, it talks about these, and it's not just one revelation, but it's revelations that he had been receiving. And so, uh, and even in, in 2 Corinthians 12, he's, he's speaking, and, and there's a, some sarcasm in it. And if you've never noticed, Paul's writing, there's some sarcasm in it. Uh, it just There just is. And so he uses sarcasm as a tool in order to challenge people the way they saw things or challenge people the way they saw him or challenge people the way that they were understanding things. And so we see that. And he will use that sometimes when he talks about uh, when he's defending his apostleship. He'll do that when he is defending the revelation that God had given him when he is speaking to people and giving them reason to listen to him, um, all those kind of things. And so in 2 Corinthians 12, you see that, and you see that he talks about the revelations that God's brought to him. And so there's an initial revelation, but then there's a progressive revelation that God's bringing, progressive understanding, a progressive uh, revealing of things that he would have no natural human way of knowing. So the other part of this is that there's no human source of this. No human source. And 
All I'm going to say about that is this, that we seek as a people to bring people to obedience to God, not man. And you may say, why are you saying that? Well, there's a reason for that. We seek to bring people to obedience to God and not man. See, Paul had not been led to God by education or instruction. And he'd also not been taught by a written account. Not of the gospel. Not of Jesus. Because there was none. So school, the idea of school, like how we value things in our culture, uh, it really wasn't anything that was going to be valued in this particular situation here. You have to realize... And I'm going to say this, I guess, as nicely as I can. You have to realize that uh, a lot of things that we worry about in our culture, other people don't worry about around the world. Just gotta, you got to just accept that. Things that we think are super important, especially Christians, things that we think are super important, other places and most of the other places, they don't really think are that important. And, and so those type things... Uh, are, are things that we need to be aware of as Christians because the, the gospel was preached to more than the United States or to Canada. It was, it's been preached around the world. And disciples are being made around the world and it's being preached all around the world. All right? And people have different ways of seeing things. People have different ways of doing things. People have different ways of understanding things. And like I said, a lot of things that we think are so really dear and important to us aren't really dear and important in other places. They're just not issues. They're not anything that they care about. So just be aware of that. And, and the only way that I became aware of that is that I just started traveling. And I started preaching the gospel in other places and realizing that I need to be aware of things like that even as I'm preaching the gospel. Things that, that maybe we care about, but that they don't. And I had the opportunity, and I, and I counted a real blessing, that a lot of times I would go and I would be ready to speak, or, and, or I'd be preparing to speak, and a missionary would say something to me about something like, yeah, these are things that guys come here and preach on that they don't care about, and he'd name off a bunch of things. And, and, that, and I appreciated that, because as I thought about it, it made sense that why would they care about that? Why would that make any sense? You know, things like, you know, why we're in certain cultures. It's like, and, and I'd have the guy say, and it seems obvious, but I want you to bear with me for a second. Like, I'll give an example of something. Like, they would say, yeah, don't preach about money here. Well, yeah, because concepts of money are different in different places. And so, you know, my concept of money is going to be totally different than somebody's concept of money in certain parts of, say, West or Central Africa. And that's just how it is. And so things that concern us about that, things that concern us about those issues aren't really concerns there. You know, I don't have to spend, say, for example, I don't spend a lot of effort when I'm in most parts of the world unless I'm in Western Europe or the United States, I don't really spend a lot of time talking to people trying to prove that there's a spiritual reality. That's a given. The spiritual reality is just a given almost everywhere we travel. 
And so I don't spend a lot of effort talking and trying to convince people that the spiritual realm is real. They already believe that. That's not really the issue. The issue is, that okay, so now what do you do? The real issue is, so who do you trust? The real issue is, all right, so what does that mean to you? And what could that mean to your faith? Or what can that mean to what God wants to do in your life? Because those become more important questions in the common knowledge of a spiritual reality. It becomes more important to talk about God's place in that and God's place with you in that than it does me trying to prove to you that angels are real. They already believe that. And so that's just a like a little bit. But there's other things that, you know, we argue about like uh, things that Christians argue about, like uh, versions of the Bible. Nobody anywhere else cares about that. Just here. Because we, we just don't have enough things to argue about. And so, you know, like you go, like I remember the first time I ever went to Germany. I went to a church and I was sitting in church and I picked up the Bible and I started looking at it and it was the Bible that Martin Luther translated into German in the 1500s, right? Still there in the pew, that's what they're using, all right? So nobody's arguing about it. Now, they probably have a more contemporary version now, but that was back in the 80s when I just looked at it and I thought, all right, cool. And in the, there's a French version of the Bible that's still being used uh, when we travel and some of the churches that we go to that speak French. It's the same, the Louis Sagan version, uh, French version of the Bible. Nobody's arguing about it. Nobody's arguing about it. There's a newer version, and some churches use it, some churches don't. They don't care if you use it. You want to use that one? Go right ahead. You don't want to use that one? Don't worry about it. You like the Louis Sagan version? Use that. Nobody cares. Other places that we go, they're just happy to have a Bible. Whatever version it is. You find a version of the Bible, say in Mandarin Chinese, they're just happy you handed it to them. Or there's places, I I handed a Bible to a guy, I was in Tunisia, and we'd found an Arabic Bible, we handed it to him. He was so happy. I can't even tell you what version of Arabic Bible that is. I don't know. He doesn't know and he doesn't care because people don't care about that stuff. We do. We do. And so I just want to encourage you that there's lots of things like that that we care about that nobody cares about. It's just here. It's our bias. It's our little thing. It's our pet. But they don't care. The world doesn't care. And so I, I, want, to, I want to say that because I think there's bigger fish to fry. For all of us, there's bigger fish to fry in in what we're looking to God for, and we're looking for what God has to say. and And I believe that God is big enough to overcome whatever our hangup is. Now, when I say this, and I know this is really weird, is that Paul, Paul is saying here is like he had no human source for this. He, he wasn't led to God by any education or any instruction. And he wasn't taught by written account. But you know what's funny about that? Is that he was still in agreement with the apostles and the elders and the leaders that were in Jerusalem. Even though there was no common account that they could all look at and all study and all agree on, they were all still in agreement. 
And if they had things that they needed to discuss, they discussed them. The Spirit of God led them, and they came to the conclusions, and they came to whatever they needed to come to by the Spirit. That's how they did it. I'm all right with that. And, and I think it's important that we take that into consideration, all of us. All of us take that into consideration, that we serve a God that's big enough to do things like that. We serve a God that's big enough to lead us by his spirit into truth. And it'll be a truth that, that is not just ours alone, but it's a truth that we agree on with others. That maybe we're not in the same place at the same time, but we're still in agreement. Why? Because the spirit of God is in agreement. And I just really believe we serve a God that's that big, that's that huge, that he can do things like that. And so I go back to we seek to bring people to obedience to God, not man. You know, it's natural human tendency to, to, to try to prove a pedigree or something. And in the, in the Corinthian church, you got Paul. He had, to, he, had to, he had to set down this argument here because some of those people were saying, well, I was baptized by Apollos, or I'm a follower of Paul, or I'm a follower of Peter, and, and trying to prove that they were bigger or better than somebody else because of the guy that they followed. And again, what Paul was trying to say here was that it's not about that. It's about the Spirit of God. Your obedience needs to be to the Spirit. Your obedience needs to be to God and not to Apollos or Peter or Paul. And they had already had an issue with that, even in the earliest of time in the church, that people wanted to somehow adhere to something like that because we're so programmed and we're so used to that. And yet we, we give lip service to the fact that Jesus abides in us, don't we? If we abide in him, he abides in us, right? And, and so we're joined to him. You got the vine and you got the branches, and, and we give lip service to that. We really do. We give lip service to the fact that Jesus is in me right now. We give lip service to the fact that Jesus is filling me with his Holy Spirit. Yeah. All right. So I've got the power of God in me. I've got Jesus in me. Why is it so hard to believe? Why? That he can't bring us into one accord. Why is it so hard to believe he can't instruct us in the same things? He's the same person. Why is it so hard to believe that the Holy Spirit can't raise up a people and raise up a leadership and raise up a, a, a teaching or a doctrine or whatever you want to call it through four or five different people that's going to agree because he's the same? Why is that hard to believe? And yet we, we're going to give lip service to Jesus in me, but not able to believe he can do that? Of course he can. And so challenging these ideas, well, that's not how we do things. Well, good. Maybe how we do things isn't the best way. Maybe it's just not. Maybe God doesn't have to conform to the way that we do things. And if that's the case, then it may be a challenge for us sometimes to turn our minds a little bit in order to agree with him. Instead of trying to get him to agree with us all the time. God doesn't need to agree with us. We need to agree with him. And so he says that he got his, he got his revelation from Jesus. And we know that he spent time in Arabia. 
Three years in Arabia. If you want to look at Galatians 1, later on in the chapter we're looking at, Galatians 1, 17 and 18. So we know that Paul took time. For what? Arabia is kind of the same area where the Ten Commandments were given, kind of the same area where they had wandered in the wilderness. And so it's talked about that it was three years that he took. And there was something that he gained an understanding of in those three years. You talk about revelation. You talk about Jesus speaking to him. You talk about the Holy Spirit leading him. You talk about whatever you want to talk about. But there was something that he understood. And this is just for us if we just need to understand. That he understood he needed to sever the gospel from the law. And that's something we're still struggling with. But Paul understood that. And so he spent that time, it's appropriate, he's out in the wilderness, it's where the law was given, but there came a time, there came a moment, and there came an understanding that that needed to be severed. Because if it wasn't severed, he would have never been able to go be the apostle to the Gentiles. So there had to be a severing in his heart, a severing in his mind, between the law as a means of salvation and Jesus as the means of salvation. And so he did it. And that was the message that God gave him, and he went and he proclaimed that. Did he still go to the synagogue? Sure. To preach Jesus. But he went to the Gentile to preach Jesus. Jesus is the author of all this. Let him be the author. I don't want to make things up. I want to let Jesus be the author. I don't want to come up with my best idea. I want Jesus to be the author. I don't want to come up with the best idea that people could think of over a period of a thousand years. I want Jesus to be the author. And so if Jesus is the author, then we need to receive that revelation. And receiving it, and you put that in quotes, received it implies the absence of labor acquiring it. I'll say that again. Received it implies an absence of labor to acquire it. We're receiving it. It can't be that easy. Yes, yes it can. Uh, that You know, half the people hung up on the Gospels, that they just believe it can't be that easy. <laughs> you understand that, right? It, it can't be that easy just to receive God's love. Yes, um, he's freely giving it. So it is an act of receiving his love, in other words, implying an absence of labor to acquire it. And that's same as understanding, that's same as revelation, that's same as is receiving what he wants to say through us, is it implies an absence of labor to acquire it. 
And so it, it begins to relieve us from that whole idea. It's like, well, how am I going to get God's love? Well, he's just pouring it out. And so anytime that we catch ourselves trying to earn that, it's not where we need to be. We're, we're putting ourselves in a bad position there. I'm trying to work for it, bad position. I'm trying to be perfect in order to receive it, bad position. You're putting yourself in a bad position every time that you're not in a position where you have an absence of labor to acquire what he has for you. He just loves you. He loves me. He wants you to understand things, and, and he wants you to grow. That's just his will. He's willing to reveal things. He's willing to show you things. That's just his will. He's willing to uh, pour out knowledge and understanding into you. That's just his will. That's what he wants to do. And so there is there's a definite absence of labor to acquire what he has for you. Now, does that mean, and, and this is going to be hard for some of us, does that mean that he's willing to give you stuff, he's willing to reveal stuff to you, and you don't have to do anything to get it. Yeah, that's exactly what that means. Now, does that mean that sometimes, let's say, I don't feel like I, I'm going to read or I'm going to learn or whatever it is? No, that's fine. But I have to start with a baseline and understanding that if God wants me to know something, if God has something for me, that I need to put myself in a position to receive that. Number one, first and foremost. And that implies an absence of labor to acquire it. He wants to give me something. And so I'm ready to receive that. There are other times I'm going to read. There's other times I'm going to go do something and learn something or whatever it is. Those are all, all good times. But first and foremost, number one, I need to be a person that can just sit and receive. And that's what Paul's saying here. He in this is he's giving this as kind of a kind of an overview of his education in Jesus. You know, we know it says there he went to Damascus. It says there he went and he did other things. And he was in the wilderness and he took the time to go into the wilderness, but there was a distinct absence of labor to acquire the revelation that Paul had. Especially compared to all he had to do to get the, the, the Gamaliel diploma that he had as a Pharisee. Those are two different ways of going about things. And the, the contrast to that, receiving it, that's the, the one thing, an absence of labor. The other side of that is taught it. All right? Taught it. And this is what he's describing as didn't happen. That implies a labor of learning. And he's saying that's not what happened. And so he became like the other apostles. But not because he was with the other apostles necessarily. It's because he was with Jesus. And and this is the part that I think sometimes... You can, you can try to uh, detach yourself from this by saying, okay, well, Paul was a special case. Well, we refer back to what Jesus said in John 14, where that wasn't directed at a special case. That was directed to all of us. 
or you go to First John two, twenty seven, which wasn't directed at a special case, but that was a general epistle to the whole church. There was no special case. But they both describe. They both describe what Paul is talking about here when it comes to how he learned and how he grew. Does it take time? Yeah, sometimes. It's going to take some time. I mean, we know that that Paul, when he was prayed over to receive the Holy Spirit after he was blinded, and the Bible tells us that the scales fell off his eyes at the house of Ananias, that he went out and he began to preach the gospel from there. So it, the full work that Jesus was going to do in him took some time, <coughs> but the immediate work was be filled with the Holy Spirit and let's get going with the stuff. What's the stuff? Preach the gospel. So thinking that we don't have everything that we're going to have is not an excuse not to go about the work that God's called us to do. Thinking that, oh, I got so much more to learn. Yeah, we do, but that doesn't excuse us from going about the work that God's given us to do. Because we're in an imperfect form, we're always going to be in an imperfect form. And so we go with what we have. And that's what Paul did. And so he had the power of the Holy Spirit. He had the anointing of the Holy Spirit. He went and he spoke. He preached. He taught. He did what he was going to do. When the time came, he went out into Arabia, spent three years receiving, downloading whatever God had for him, did what he needed to do, and then went and visited with Peter for a few weeks and then was off. Apostle to the Gentiles, planting churches, raising up disciples. There's something powerful, something really powerful, that if we will yield ourselves, I mean, really yield ourselves, kind of God have your way kind of stuff in our life, powerful things happen. Powerful things happen. What's God's plan for you? I can't answer that. How's God teach you? I can't answer that either. But I do know this is one way. I know this is one way God teaches us. And it's a powerful way. It's a primary way that God teaches us. I run an internship. Why? Well, because there's other ways that God uses. I'm all right with that. Right, Cam? Yes. Yeah, yeah. 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 All right. I like to read. Why? Because there's other ways that God uses. I like to go and spend time with people and hear their stories and, and hear what, what God says to them. Why? Because there's other ways that God uses. I read my Bible every day. Why? Because there's other ways that God uses. And so I'm not limiting anything. I want you to expand some stuff. <laughs> That's what I'm looking for. I want you to expand out a little bit to how God's going to teach you. 
how God's going to reveal to you, how God's going to show you, and not just limit God based on our experiences and based on what we've seen and based on what we were programmed to do, but to really begin to allow him the access he needs into our hearts, into our minds, to really bring revelation, understanding, and teaching to us. I think that is a primary way that he does things. And I've seen him and experiencing him raising up disciples like that all over the world. And I count it a privilege to be a part of that. And so I want to encourage us, me, you, to begin to experience that kind of revelation in our lives open our hearts, open our minds to Jesus, to the Holy Spirit of God, and just say, teach me, teach me, what do you got to say? I just want to take a few moments and just respond to maybe what God is speaking to you. Um... I just uh, I want to encourage you not to limit God. And I know conceptually you don't, but practically you may. And it's those practical things that matter. Because that's really how we go about our lives. We don't go about our, our lives with ideas. We go about our, our lives with how we actually do things. You can have big ideas about big stuff, but it never comes to pass because it never really affects the daily. So let's let this affect the daily. Jesus, we thank you for sending the advocate, just like you said you would, for sending another comforter. And we thank you tonight that he leads us and guides us into truth and that he teaches us. Not just about some things, but about all things. And so I just ask that we would allow for that kind of an expansion of our faith and expectations for our lives. That Jesus, your Holy Spirit, he's going to teach us about all things. I just pray we let you. I pray we let you fill us with knowledge and wisdom. I pray that we let you fill us with revelation and understanding. I pray we let you just have your way in expanding the way we think about things and the way we see things. I pray we wouldn't limit that. But Holy Spirit, we call on you to to just fill us. We call on you to speak. We call on you to reveal. And I just pray, God, somehow, some way, we'd be able to open our hearts and open our minds, open our spirit, open our soul up to your Holy Spirit tonight. And that you'd have your way. We want to hear you. We want to hear you. We want to receive from you. 
Thanks, God. Thanks, God. Yeah. Yeah, there's so much. Such a big universe. You're such a big God. So many things. So much understanding. Let's give you thanks. So God, I pray you'd teach your people. I pray again that we'd have ears to hear what the Holy Spirit is saying. We don't confine you. We don't confine you to our experiences. We don't confine you to the ways that we're used to doing things. But we actually say have your way. And do what you want to do. We give you thanks tonight. Grow your people. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Thanks, everybody, for coming tonight. Great to see you. And uh, we'll see you again. UCF and Syracuse is a relational gathering of diversity in action. Economics, education, employment, background, and culture span the spectrum as we gather for the purpose of life in Christ. No, me and Christ are homies. That's good. He's really cool, you mm-hmm. know? He's super close, yo. Your homeboy? Yeah. All right. Anyways, so musicians, writers, painters. You know, my cousin's a painter. Yeah? What do you paint? Houses. Oh, man. My cousin, your cousin should hook up. Yeah. So, yeah, painters and other artists express their work through the body of life of this faith community. Like the community dad. Yeah, so a lot of people. Yeah. No. Started in 1997. That's a long time ago, yo. That's back in the day. That was before I had my eyebrows tattooed on there. I remember that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As an outgrowth of chaplaincy of Syracuse University, UCF continues to gather in the Westcott neighborhood of Syracuse. Oh, me and my homegirls, we walk up and down there all the time. I know, that's our hood. Mm-hmm. So it's in Syracuse, New York, to share the love and hope of Christ. Again, we, we homies. Yeah. 